Bowtech Archery prides themselves on offering a bow for everyone. Whether you have a short draw length, a long draw length, pull 70 pounds or 40 pounds, you're a bow hunter or a target archer, they offer a bow that can be customized to fit your body type. On top of that, their deadlock technology allows you to fine-tune your arrow flight. Visit BowTechArchery.com and check out the SR350 and the CP28. Bowtech Archery, refuse to follow. What is going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Wisconsin Sportsman Podcast, which is brought to you by Tacticam. This is your home for all things outdoors in the Badger State, and I am your host, Josh Raley. Thank you so much for tuning in this week. We've got a fantastic episode coming up for you. I was able to sit down again with my buddy Sam Billhorn from Whitetail Partners, and uh, man, Sam just knows his stuff. Like When it comes to whitetails and habitat and hunting, Sam is an absolute wealth of knowledge. I love any time I get to have him on, pick his brain a little bit. And in this episode, we talk about a couple of different things, but really October is kind of the main focus. You know, what deer are doing in the month of October, what landowners and land managers should or could be doing in the month of October to help improve their hunting. Uh, we talk a bit about uh, hunting strategy and and guys who are uh, public land guys, look, the hunting strategy we talk about here is going to be applicable whether you've got your own piece of property that you have heavily managed or whether you're a guy out trying to get it done on public land. Sam uh, just knows his stuff. And so uh, the stuff he shares today is fantastic. Uh, We talk a lot about weather and sort of its impact. We talk about cold fronts, its impact on deer movement. We talk about what to expect as we get further and further into October. And uh, one of my favorite parts was, hey, I asked him, "What what should guys be paying attention to or looking at this year as they look at their property and start to think, should I be calling Sam for for some help? Like, should I get in touch with Sam to help me out with my whitetail property? Because I think a lot of guys, when it comes to October and November, it's really gonna highlight, hey, are you happy with your hunting or not? Like, are you satisfied with the results that you got or not? Like, was the way your property is laid out, the way that you're hunting it, was that putting you in close proximity to the kind of deer, the caliber of deer, that you wanted to see? Is your property holding the caliber of deer that you want to see? And if your answer is no, then maybe you need to give Sam a call. Or maybe if you just want to take things up a notch, then you should definitely give Sam a call at Whitetail Partners. You can find him on Instagram. Uh, You can also find his uh, website, whitetailpartners.com. Before we jump into that episode, though, I do just want to give a huge shout out to uh, the folks that I know who are able to uh, seal the deal. My buddy Ryan Deneu had uh, some luck with his kids getting out and uh, putting some deer on the ground. I'm hoping to have them on uh, here in the next couple of weeks to talk about their success on the youth hunt. So we got a doe down. We got a nice buck on the on the ground. Uh, massive, massive deer, just a toad. So uh, you know what? It's going to be a great episode. I look forward to having those guys on, but we couldn't have had better weather for a youth hunt. I think the deer were on their feet, like judging by just looking at some of the pictures that were being sent in to me, like, man, the deer were on their feet this weekend. So anyway, if you had luck, congrats. If you didn't, hey, keep at it. Uh, you know, maybe maybe next time is your time. But uh, yeah, if you've got success stories that you'd like to share or pictures you'd like to share with me, make sure to tag me in those photos so that I can see uh, what you and uh, maybe your kids are, are putting on the ground 
Before we get too far into the episode, though, I do just want to make a couple of announcements. Number one, if you haven't already, please go give us a follow on Instagram. Please go leave a review for this podcast wherever you grab this podcast from, whether it's Apple Podcasts or Spotify or whatever. If you can leave us a written review there, that helps even more. Uh, I so appreciate the feedback that I do get. I'd love to see some more reviews begin to pile up, though, so that other folks are, are have an easier time finding this podcast. Also, if you haven't, please do share this podcast with your friends and loved ones that also dig the outdoors in Wisconsin or, or even the upper Midwest or who just dig deer hunting, because we're going to talk a lot of deer hunting as we get here into uh, October and November. Then I also need to shout out all of my partners. I could not do what I do each and every week if it wasn't for these folks. First up, Huntworth. I've been bragging on their lightweight gear all summer long. Uh, last weekend, or weekend before last, when I was able to get out, I was able to try out their Elkins jacket for the first time, not their lightweight gear, kind of moving more into their midweight gear. And man, I was super impressed with this stuff. It sloughs off uh, any briars and stuff like that pretty easily. It's super quiet, very, very warm, very happy with that. I was also rocking the Hickory backpack, and man, that Hickory pack is phenomenal. This thing holds a ton of stuff. It's got a lot of adjustment in the straps where you can not only get your stuff cinched down really, really tight, but you can get a good fit. And I like my pack to ride nice and high on my back so that, you know, it doesn't feel... Uh, remember when you're a kid and you just got a backpack like banging down around your knees as you carry it into school? I don't like to feel like that when it comes to my hunting gear. So this Hickory backpack helps me get stuff way up on my shoulders and uh, keep it nice and comfortable on the walk-in. So you can go check all that out, huntworthgear.com. Next up, Deer Lab. They're the number one trail camera app for hunters and land managers to help you store, organize, and analyze all of your trail camera data at a whole new level with all of its features. I recently just moved all of my trail cameras back off of food sources, off of some of those things that I had them on for uh, either late summer intel, early fall intel, and I moved them all onto active scrapes, or I actually put one uh, at the intersection of trails leading out of a major, major doe bedding area. It's a spot where I've had lots of encounters with good bucks in the past, and, uh, you know, I talk about it a little bit in this episode, actually, of how I kind of sweeten this area up to funnel down deer movement. Even though it's on public land, you can do things to encourage deer movement through a particular area. And uh, because this is a, you know, high usage area, I wanted to make sure that the deer that are passing through there are passing in front of my camera. But those cameras are out. They're soaking. I can't wait to start getting some of that intel in, plug it into Deer Lab and see what all it shows me. You can get a free trial of Deer Lab right now for 30 days. No credit card required. Just head over to their website, DeerLab.com, to sign up. And if you decide to purchase, you can use the code WISCONSIN, all caps, for 20% off of any of their plans. And then finally, Tacticam. They are our title sponsor. Man, I tell you what, I love Tacticam's products, but it's been so good to work with this company. I was on the phone with them last week, and uh, one of the guys that I used to work with there uh, has moved on to a different position with the same company, got a promotion. Another guy... Uh, came into his position and dude's just a salt of the earth kind of guy. I just, I love working with them. The guys stand behind their products. They're passionate about their products. Like that's what I love is when I get on the phone with them, I can tell like they really, really love their products. They're passionate about their products and they're passionate about you as a hunter having a positive experience with their products. Like they really do want to help you share your hunt. So um, man, pumped to be working with these guys. They've got their new 6.0 camera out now. Uh, it is fantastic. The image stabilization on this one is way, way beyond uh, any of their cameras that have come before. So if you've tried a Tacticam in the past, you weren't real happy with how it responded at the shot, like the shock that got to the camera. 
give the 6.0 a try. I don't think you'll be disappointed. I can't wait to take a shot with mine this fall. I am still using my 5.0 cameras as well. Uh, so it's going to be pretty awesome. I'm going to have a 5.0 and a 5.0 wide set up to kind of get multiple angles. Going to have a 6.0 on my bow. Man, it's it's just going to be good. Any deer that comes in is going to get his picture taken at least. And uh, yeah, really, really looking forward to that. You can go check them out at Tacticam.com. Now, with all of that said and out of the way, let's talk about October hunting and land management with Sam Billhorn from Whitetail Partners. Welcome back to another episode of the Wisconsin Sportsman Podcast. And once again, I've got my buddy, Sam Billhorn. Sam, what's going on, buddy? Hey, Josh. Glad to be here. It's good to be October now and awesome to be chatting with you again. Yeah, man. This is uh, this is that time of year where I start to get really, really antsy. I mean, I feel like August mm-hmm. is kind of ramping up. September is really ramping up. October hits and the weather really turns and my mind is gone. Like, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm useless. I'll be back sometime in, like, January or February, you know, just in time to start thinking about turkeys again. But uh, right. for now, my mind is in a tree stand. Yeah, every every day is analyzing what's going on, what's the weather. You know, the wind turns a little bit, and, and it kind of shifts your whole body. You're just thinking, what what should I be doing now? So <laughs> I, we're, all, we're all wired that way, I understand. Yeah, good deal. Good deal. Well, Sam, I wanted to have you on and talk a bit about um, hunting, habitat, and all of that good stuff, specifically in the state or in the week of October or the month of October. I um, mm-hmm. have been keeping up with you on Instagram. One of the things that you that you put on there that I really, really like is your monthly checklist for your property. And you throw up there, sure. you know, these are the things guys should be looking at and talking about, thinking about for each specific month. And I think um, that that's kind of what inspired me to say, okay, I want to get Sam back on for an, for an October, you know, checklist kind of thing. But before we jump into that, though, you guys have been out in the woods. Tell me about uh, how your early season hunts have gone. Yeah, so we uh, are always, you know, working to focus on uh, doe hunts early on. So it's, you know, getting out there and uh, it's, it's, you know, part observation hunts, see how the land's being used. Um but also trying to get our does on the ground. And that is, uh, that's a real high priority for us in the month of September. Um, we, we keep increasing the effort we're trying to do with that. And, and that's several things. So it's, um, you know, seeing our populations as we're working this land, we, we certainly do ha- have um, a strong doe population and we want to keep that under control. Um, being in Southwest Wisconsin, we, you know, we, we were talking about that, uh, before we were uh, recording here and it, the numbers are quite high and, and those concentrations happen in places that, uh, you know, are properties that are better taken care of and, and we need to, we need to manage that. So that, that's all part of it. Um, it's also really important to us to get the kids out, get friends out. Um, you know, I've been working with a few guys that are new to hunting and um, just to see their excitement for it and, and to get them out. Uh, it's a great time. Um, so kind of low impact on the land, you know, we're trying to stay on our edges. We're not going heavy into the timber. It's, it's, you know, hunting some of our food sources and even hunting some of those ancillary areas like, uh, egg fields and things that will be later on less of a attraction. Um, but they're pretty highly attractive now. Um, I did a post on elf elf. I mean, they just been hammering that on our farm and we have a, a handful of setups that just sit right on the edge of those fields and really fun to see that you know the early fall hunt be in a tree um all that stuff yeah man and there's there's something too as i'm looking at some of the pictures and stuff there's something too just about the aesthetics of the of the timber 
in that mm-hmm. late September, first couple of days of October, when you see, you know, alfalfa or a food plot that is just bright, bright green against the backdrop of, you know, maybe some switchgrass or something that's, you know, kind yeah. of really fluorescent yellow almost looks in these, you know, in the pictures. And then you got the hills in the background. It's just, it's a beautiful time. Yeah. No, I sometimes mess around with those filters, but you don't even need them for that. I mean, no. it's, uh, that, that I, I, one of the poses I had was just electric green. You know, yeah. that stuff is just, it's amazing to see in the month of September, um, especially when you've had good moisture. Um, I think that's really helped our food plots also, you know, because the, the, the brows, the early brows, which can really hamper your plots, uh, kind of kept off because they were, they were on that alfalfa. Um, and now that that final cutting is getting done, it'll be uh, less attractive for sure. Yeah. Sam, I want to talk to you about uh, the importance of managing your doe population in mm-hmm. September and October, like you said. I mean, there are lots of benefits to it, right? You get to get family and friends out. You get to get the kids out. The weather is nice. It's just a great time of year. Deer movement right. is typically really, really good. Uh, deer are coming out into places where they're highly visible, like food sources. So great time, obviously. But why do you guys try to focus on taking your does out early in the season? Yeah, so good segue there and really important to mention. It's for all those reasons and more. I mean, that, that those are all important. But the other thing we want to do, too, is we want to have that time be done by now. By early October, uh, we want the, the doe hunts to end from a standpoint of impact to the land. Uh, bucks are now um, kind of, I would say, not finishing, but continuing that fall shift of moving into different areas. Uh, often that's our property because of how we have it set up. And we do not want to be uh, putting any more pressure now into October uh, these first few weeks of October are critically important for us because we want to let things settle down. We want to let uh, the, the, the dust settle, so to speak, in that um, less impact, less scent, sound, um, noise, all those things, you know, in the timber, and let those bucks start to work those patterns. Um, so we, is, we look at the month of October, which is by far my favorite month, so I love talking about this. Everybody wants to talk about November, but let's talk about October. Is the, the sequence of how bucks start to use the land throughout uh, the month and how that changes. So, you know, just a quick overview, and I'm sure we'll dive into a few other things here, but, you know, early on, beginning October, and I saw this when I was in the stand this last week, was, uh, you know, bucks are definitely more active. They're still in bachelor groups, still in groups, and, you know, they're, you're, you're seeing more sparring turn to fighting at times a little bit. And, you know, a little bit of chasing around and, and, and starting to stir up those groups. Um, and, you know, before long, they're starting to do more of those things leading into the rut. And I'm not talking pre-rut yet. I'm going to call that end of October. We'll get to that in a second. But, you know, these things, these activities are starting to sign. You see scrapes opened up a whole lot more. Um, and, you know, now, so here we're recording this on the 7th of October. And now we're starting to see a whole lot more frequent use of those scrapes. So um, I have a lot of my cameras on scrapes, uh, cell cameras too. So I kind of daily, moment by moment, know how that's increasing. And here this morning, you know, there's it's, it's the cold, cold fronts come through, it's cooler. And here we have a whole bunch of small and medium bucks um, moving in on those scrapes. So these are the, our mock scrapes we have set up. We've talked about this in other podcasts. And, I do a lot of this, I show this a lot on social is, 
you know, we set up these mock scrapes with a, a licking branch and clear the ground out and they are just uh, all over them now. So they're starting to, but hit those frequently. I had one this morning where I watched a buck go from one, from one to another, to another, um, scrapes on the same travel corridor. Wow. This is covering about 400 acres, same small buck, but you know, they're starting to make that pattern. And, and then uh, to quicken the story here, as the month moves on, you start to see more bucks fill in on that. And also the behavior becomes more aggressive. The, you know, the working of uh, the, the scrape on the ground, you know, getting that uh, worked up a lot more aggressively, urinating on them, working that licking branch harder and harder. Um, and that just continues to build. And then the bucks too. So you have bigger bucks start to use these. And before long, you're starting to get into that time frame of the, you know, October 20th and, and on to towards uh, November 1st, more the heat of the rut uh, into November where bucks are really laying down a lot of sign. I think the peak of laying sign down and it's going to ebb and flow with weather certainly, but is going to be that last week of October. And that's really my favorite time because on a, a property that we've set up and we have working the way we want it to, that's when those big bucks are on that scrape line. They're working from spot to spot and uh, you just need to pick the time to be there and uh, hopefully connect the dots between them. So that's, that's what we're trying to do. Uh, and that's why, you know, laying off early in October is really important. And back to the doe hunt, um, you know, why we want to get that done now in the population control as well. Um, another piece of that, which is really important to talk about is the number of does coming into hunting season. If we have a lot of does on a property, uh, it's such that, you know, they're really boxing out the bucks. Uh, sometimes that, that frequency is, is not going to be as much on a property just because bucks still in this time period of October are a little more reclusive and still aren't quite as active. And that can be, you know, stunted a little bit if, if there's just a lot of activity on a property in general. Yeah. Just kind of talking about that social stress piece uh, yeah. when it comes to your property. I, I want to go back to something you mentioned there because you said it real briefly and I may be reading too much into what you said, but it just yeah, it was so different than what how I typically think about it and how people typically talk about it. And that was the piece of bucks shifting uh, or in the process of shifting from their summer range to their fall range. I feel like I usually hear it talked about as velvet peels, bucks shift, and it's like overnight they've moved on and they've popped up in new places and boom, that's where they're going to be. You described it as more of a process that they may still kind of be in. Tell me a little bit more about your thought process there because that that seems to be very different than the way I hear that shift talked about, but I think it's probably more consistent with what I have actually observed. Yeah, so you, know, you could read, you know, go into research and see how collared bucks act. And, and, you know, the way I think about it is every buck is a little bit different. They're going to constantly seek out what they need and also react to what they experience. So if they're bumped a time or two on a property, they may be relocating and that's not necessarily date or weather dependent. That's independent on a neighbor or something like that. So, uh, you know, I think what my observation is in several years through trail, trail cams and such is, you know, different bucks move at different times. So and when I say move, that's relocate. Uh, oh, 
that guy's back on camera. I haven't seen him in three weeks or whatever the circumstances. And, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say our property is so perfect that deer don't leave. And then, you know, we we're only, only just adding bucks. I don't think that's realistic because an individual buck may choose to go to a different area because their wanderings let them there and they are, you know, liking what they found. Um, but anyway, back to the, you know, the, the shift, so to speak. Yeah. It's, we, we always think it's like this switch, like, you know, the date of October 1st hits and that's when it happens and it's over with. I really don't see that. I, I do see bucks trickle in and trickle out again. I think they, they're shifting back again and it's highly dependent more on food source at that time in that uh, middle to end of November period. Um, and, and seeing how they react at that time. You know, we talk about one shift, right? You know, there's this yep. one fall shift. That's what we hear. I don't think it's that way. I think it's a continuous shift of maybe it's a few weeks here, a few weeks there. And yeah, there's, there's definitely going to be individuals where maybe they shift once and that's where they stay, or maybe they, maybe they never left. Right. I, I do think it's more individual <laughs> than that. Um, and, the behavior of each buck is going to vary depending on both environment and you know how they're wired. Yeah, yeah, man, that's really good. I, that lines up a lot more with what I have observed. And uh, but you know, you just always hear it talked about as the fall shift, and then that's kind of right. that's kind of it. Like it's a done deal once it's once it's locked in. Sam, one of the things that I, I love talking to you about is you've got a, a property where you've implemented a lot of the uh, tools that you use as the, you know, owner of Whitetail Partners, right? Where you go into these properties and you help guys set it up. You've kind of got your own uh, proving grounds. If I'm going to steal, steal a name from, uh, from, uh, oh goodness, what's his name? I can't remember his name now. Grant Woods. Yeah. Dr. Grant Woods. Sorry. I've, yeah. Man, no, I, you're good. <laughs> There's a lot of people that say that, but I, I know exactly what you meant. And it, and it is that that's what we have there is, you know, I don't, I don't like recommending anything that I haven't done for a while myself. Yeah. And, and that's what it's all about. Yeah. I feel terrible. I, I forgot Dr. Woods's name. He is, no, he is one of the yeah. kindest people that I've ever met. He, um, you know, I'm a nobody. I got a podcast he's never heard of. He lives in Missouri. The guy immediately after, before and after we did the podcast that we did starts texting me and we're just texting back and forth. I'm like, how in the world am I texting with Dr. Grant Woods? Like, this is such a strange such yeah. a strange thing in my mind. But anyway, um, mm-hmm. so I feel horrible. I forgot him. When it comes to your property, I'm curious if there are things um, that are so important to you that you might violate your desire to get out of the woods and leave the timber alone by October 1st. Like, is there anything that you say, hey, if I haven't gotten this done by October 15th, 16th, 17th, I'm going to go in and do this because it's that critical for my success in the last week of October and the first two weeks of November. You know, for me, I'm going to say that list is very short because our property having been worked for some time, it's really like if something has failed or we know it to be a problem. uh, For example, one of the things that I've done is if a mock scrape has been torn down, you know, the licking branch torn down or broken or somehow, um, you know, manipulated or, a, you know, a tree fell right on it or in, in that section of, of the timber on that corridor, uh, I'm going to do something about that. Um, and that can be very quiet. I mean, I, there's been times where I've gone 
to, uh, and I, I just, I'll hunt that set, right? I'll go sit there, uh, hunt a morning, evening, whatever. And I'll fix that while I'm there. And that, you know, a, a handsaw is a high quality handsaw is something I'm going to keep in my pack all the time because, and then some paracord because of those two things, you can fix, uh, all those mock scrape situations and, and try and uh, improve them. Obviously a bigger down tree, maybe that's a little different, but I think the whole point there is, um, you know, you could potentially mess up a corridor system by having a down tree and, and that's something worth uh, taking a look at. If it's an area that you can easily access kind of from the perimeter of your property and during the daytime have low impact, you know, I think deer are, are so accustomed to chainsaws and things like that, that you, you know, if you did have a down tree on your, one of your best, let's say, you know, ridge line pinch point sets that you just wanted to go in there and cut, you know, fire up that chainsaw back at the road and run it hard all the way in and make a ton, you know, pile of noise, take care of that tree and get back out. So those are some of the things that I would have people do if, if they are hunt, if they're setting up a property for the first time, um, I would say they could potentially be taking even more risk to do some of those improvements. Um, and then I'll give an example that you can relate to because, um, you built a set like this with me is to go in and we have one spot we're going to set up a mock scrape. We're going to build a corridor 50 or hundred yards in each direction and we're going to get out. Okay. And that will be very disruptive, but it's going to be, you know, funneling deer at a point, um, as they pass through it. And really the purpose of that is to be ready for that long, um, cruising rut sit, you know, that where a buck will likely have to pass through that point. And rather than giving them say, uh, 60 or 80 yards to pass through on a pinch point, you're going to give them 20 or 30 and really have that opportunity uh, to, to you know, be more successful in that set. All those things though, do make me squirm thinking about them and you're going to hear maybe some, <laughs> some true, uh, you know, some hardcore uh, uh, habitat guys say there ain't nothing. You're going to, you know, do, do not do that. Well, um, to a certain extent, but it, it really depends on, that individual setup, the quality of their access, what they already have in place. Um, and, and I think that's going to vary for somebody who's got a really established property versus someone who is just starting out. Yeah. Sam, I, I got to mention this. This is kind of off topic, but um, mm-hmm. so I went in and I, I think I mentioned on the last episode that I did, but uh, I went in and hung a bunch of trail cameras in areas that I know are traditionally good for the rut. So, um, one of them is a spot where I've had a couple of really great encounters with uh, very nice bucks. It's downwind on the, of a doe bedding area and downwind of like the prevailing wind. It's like a North or Northwest wind pushes straight out of the bedding area and down to this little mm-hmm. spot. And a couple of trails come out of the bedding area and converge with a trail that runs sort of parallel with the bedding area on the downwind side really, really great spot. So what I did is I went in there and hung that camera and right where these trails converge, I cleared out the trail in 25 yards in each direction. Mm -hmm. And there's one faint trail that runs what would be downwind of me when I'm hunting it. And I just took whatever brush I could find and kind of just made obstacles along the way to discourage use there. And that's in a public land setting. So I think, you know, a lot of these things guys can do to really dial in a spot. So this spot was really good, but I knew it Mm -hmm. could be better. I knew it could be sweetened for, you know, a November hunt. So that's what I did is I went in, 
cleared out the area, made the trails really easily passable that are right there where I want to shoot. And the ones behind mm-hmm. me now, the deer have a couple of obstacles. It, I couldn't do, you know, hinge cutting or anything to where it makes them impassable, but I could really discourage the movement going behind me and encourage the movement right here in front of me. Right. And, and you touch on something there that I think is uh, important to say, because my, my context a lot of times is this, you know, well thought out, well planned, uh, long worked private property and the public land setting that you talk about and it relates to hunting too, is it, it's, I think, to be aggressive, to be willing to go in there and make that dive there earlier in the season, you know, that first day of that first cold front, and then also do some things like you talked about, like, you know, normally I kind of cringe to think about, you know, even breaking a branch off a tree because I'm, I don't want to change that deer's environment, right? But in public land to just, take some brush, drag it around, um, you know, maybe help try and influence that pinch in front of you, all those things. I would say, you know, much more of a green light to go ahead with that stuff for that public land hunter. It's going to be absolutely um, worth doing. Uh, Those risks are a lot more tolerable in those public land spots because it's a, it's also a competition to the, the first one to be there in the right, you know, when the time is right. Just want to take a quick minute to let you know that the Wisconsin Sportsman Podcast is brought to you by Tacticam, makers of the best point-of-view cameras on the market for hunters and anglers. Their gear is made for outdoorsmen by outdoorsmen. Archery openers are just around the corner, and Tacticam has just released several new products to help you share your hunt and take your scouting to the next level. Topping the list is their 6.0 point-of-view camera, providing 4K footage and a user-friendly waterproof package. They've also just released the new Solo Extreme, giving you HD footage, 3 to 8x zoom, and one-touch operation. And Tacticam's lineup of of point-of-view cameras is supported by the best mounts and adapters on the market. This fall, I'll be using their Bose stabilizer mount, as well as their bendy clamp mount to make sure my cameras don't miss any of the action. And last but not least, Tacticam just launched the Reveal X Pro. With no visible flash, built-in LCD screen, and built-in GPS tracking, the Reveal X Pro will help you take your scouting to the next level. You can learn more about these and Tacticam's entire line of products at Tacticam.com or RevealCellCam.com. This episode is also brought to you by DeerLab, the number one trail camera app for hunters and land managers. DeerLab gives you a simple way to store, organize, and analyze all of your trail camera data. DeerLab has tons of great features like the ability to filter photos based on what's in them, deer, turkeys, people, whatever. It syncs your photos with local weather to help you pattern your target. And you can even mass edit your timestamps, which is a great feature if you're like me and you occasionally forget to set the correct time on your camera. Head over to DeerLab.com to check them out. You can get a free trial on there for 30 days. And then when you're ready to buy, use the code Wisconsin at checkout for 20% off of any plan. Now let's get back to the show. And I've found too, uh, when you have a property that just gets lots of different kinds of pressure, it could be pheasant hunting, it's rabbit hunting, it's squirrel hunting, it's hikers, it's, it's everything, Mm -hmm. right? Like people are just in there like crazy. The deer just find ways to skirt human activity. You know, they get, they get acclimated to it. it. And yep. And so they will, they will, they might be within 30 yards of what, of Mm -hmm. a spot that's got people in it, you know, really regularly but they're doing it in such a way that they're not seen when they're there. You know, this spot mm-hmm. is actually a good example. I may have shared this with you before, um, but this, what I was just talking about was in a spot where I watched a small eight point um, 
browsing around in, in, I think it was like November 12th. And he's just browsing around, acting kind of different than I would expect a buck to be acting on November 12th. A lady walks by with her dog, and her dog has a bell on it. And her dog's just running around in the woods, and, you know, the, the eight-point stops. He looks up at the, at the dog. The dog doesn't notice him, keeps on going. The deer just goes back to feeding. Never once, mm-hmm. never once blew out or anything like that. So they just begin to tolerate certain levels of human pressure, but they know what to do to make sure that they're not seen or detected. You know, absolutely. No, that's all environmental. They're, they're, they're used to that. And uh, just ask any guy who's hunting the, you know, the outskirts of, uh, of a town and, and suburb, you know, suburb type hunting and, and they'll tell you all about it yeah. for sure. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Well, they, Sam, they know where the bird feeders are in the, in the subdivision. So. Oh my goodness. Yes. And man, I'm just, I watched the deer in my backyard here. Right. And they come into the yard, no problem. I walk out on the back deck. They just look at me and the kids. They're happy to keep milling around mm-hmm. in the backyard. The moment I come in from a different direction or the moment that I am not on the deck anymore but on the grass, they lose their minds mm-hmm. and run off. So mm-hmm. they have this Same threshold. Same thing with me on the lawnmower. Yeah. I, I can get within 40 yards of them on the lawnmower, no problem. Yep, yep. It's, it's crazy how they, how they adapt, and they know when you're dangerous and they know when you're not. So, uh, well, let's talk a little bit about October cold fronts. You mentioned, uh, cold fronts a little bit, their influence on movement. Um, number one, what are you seeing as cold fronts begin to roll through October? Like, are there, are there cold fronts that are more valuable than others, let's say? And then number two, I'm curious what you've seen of deer behavior after a more subtle cold front. Like we're, we're all familiar with the one that, you know, the high today is, 65 and the high tomorrow is 45 or 47 you know just huge you know 20 degree temperature shifts also there are times though in october where you get a cold front that's well today the high is 67 tomorrow it's uh, 61 the next day it's you know 58 57 Mm -hmm. you know just real subtle kind of happen over a couple of days go into those two things and kind of what you've seen of their influence on deer especially bucks and kind of their you know, getting ramped up at this time of year. Mm-hmm. So again, there's multiple influences, right? And and this is one. And I think that to look at it in isolation of food sources changing, uh, the calendar, you know, the dates ticking on and getting further into the month, to look at those independent, I don't think is fair from the standpoint of they all work together. And I think it's yep. important to know that. And, and the same thing, you know, we talk about temperature, but also wind, precipitation, some of these, all these other things. So it's, um, it's not one dimensional on, on, uh, on cold fronts or just temperature, but you know, specifically to answer the question, obviously that, um, what I would say is the bigger the drop and we're talking in a one day period, right? Maybe a day and a half as a, as a front moves through, uh, the bigger that drop, the more impactful it is. And also, the, the later in the month it is, I would, I would put a factor on that. So, and, and, you know, certainly this is what uh, all of these um, apps and uh, every, you know, all these different, uh, without saying any of them, all these different types of uh, softwares that are out there that people look to, to say, you know, this is the best hunting day and why? Well, all these things I'm talking about is a simple algorithm that they're pulling out of national weather service and they're generating the data and, showing what's going on that day. So anyway, the drop, bigger drop, 
absolutely going to have more bucks on their feet. Um, just think of it. I, I like to acclimate it to how we are, you know, when it's maybe say 75 degrees out and we're doing something active, it may be, we feel warm, right? We want to take our, you know, take a sweatshirt off this and that, and we want to go, uh, you know, be more comfortable. Um, but when that drops to 55 and all of a sudden we're a lot more comfortable, you know, if we want to go on a walk, we can walk farther because we're not overheating all these things. And I think it's a lot, a lot of that with, with, uh, uh, deer and bucks especially is, you know, they, they preserve their energy. They're going to conserve what they're doing. And if they're more comfortable, they're going to be, um, you know, moving out in, in the daylight hours a lot more often. So that big drop, huge later in the month, even more. I've done posts every year showing that, uh, later October timeframe in referencing last year's pictures. So I'll say, Hey, look, all these bucks came out. There was on the, it was on the 21st and the 26th and the whatever the dates are. Right. And, and Oh, by the way, here's the overlay of the weather, big drop, big drop, you know, and, and the two absolutely correlate now to get to a more subtle thing. So that two or three day slide of, of temperatures, I think those are, are good and definitely notable when you want to go out to the, uh, you know, out and, and see buck activity. But at the same time, they're not as impactful as that sudden hit. But I would, again, bring into that other factor. If the wind is really high on that day one of the slide and then day two, that wind drops, that's a key time because that wind is going to be, you know, it's going to dampen their activity as far as their level of comfort and what they hear, what's going on, the noise they're making. And they're not going to be, you know, as active on that windy day. And then that next day, because they've been less active, now they're going to, they're going to be more active. Maybe they missed some feedings. They, you know, they're, they're catching up. Um, they, they're going to be on their feet a little bit more. We have that, the, the two coincide here right now. So yesterday was a really windy day. Cold fronts through, temperatures down, and it's very still today. Excellent day to be in the woods. Well, I don't know why we're on a podcast, Josh, but uh, <laughs> we picked the wrong day I, for this. I will be. I will be out later today, so nice. we're good. Nice. Uh, but uh, anyway, I think that that uh, that's how they correlate. And again, factor other factors too: wind, precipitation, the date in the month, rut activity, those sort of things, all need to be thought of together because. Um, they're all factors that are important. Yeah, that's really good. That's really good. Let's jump into now, um, let's call it pre-rut and rut hunt strategy, right? Like where mm-hmm. where where people want to be. So where does your, what does your pre-rut strategy sort of focus and how, how does that differ? Let's say you make it into November 1st, 2nd, 3rd, 4th, and you've still got a buck tag in your pocket and you haven't tagged out yet. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. so tell me about, tell me about kind of your thought process, how you're setting people up on your farm, uh, how mm-hmm. you're trying to get there. And then maybe talk a little bit about the public land side of things. What would be, you know, the public land equivalent, kind of like we talked earlier, mm-hmm. the public land equivalent of making a set, right. You know, hitting them, setting right. a mock scrape, cleaning the area out best you can. Let's talk a little bit about, you know, public and private. Sure. So I think they're really, they apply to both. What I'm going to say, this is, this is consistent to both and either listener should want to hear, um, you know, this, this thought process on the pre-rut. 
my absolute favorite time to be in the woods, and this is here in southwest Wisconsin, is the last 10 days of October. And I would say the peak of that being maybe, you know, weather dependent, again, more factors, maybe the October 25th, 26th. And I'm not just saying that because I killed my buck on the 25th last year, but that, that is because as, as that pre-rut time frame goes, this is the peak of predictable buck movement. So mm. on these travel corridors, they are, this is, this pre-rut, we talk about that. This is when they're laying down signs. Um, so that's how I define pre-rut is bucks are heavily laying down signs. They are making themselves available. They want to know what's going on in the neighborhood. Where's that first doe going into estrus? All of that stuff. You know, they're, they're, most active, okay, and most predictably active. They're 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 just as active, if not more, during the rut coming into the last couple of days of October, early November, uh, where you know it's more that chasing and breeding time frame. But working those scrape lines, to me, that's how we can we can easily access without impacting them because we have access that comes to these locations um, in an opposite direction, you know, perpendicular to that line of movement that the deer has. And we're hunting on those mock scrapes. Cell cams take this to a whole new level because you know, hey, the scrape line's active. Okay, early, mid-October, small bucks are going. Bigger bucks starting to trickle in. Okay, it's October 22nd, and you know what? The big boys are on their feet, and it's time to be in the, in the woods. And then it's, from there, it's pretty simple. You're looking at what scrape lines are the most active, when the wind is right, maybe looking at recent data of the direction the wind was, the conditions that led to that activity on that scrape line um, and, and, and be there. So that's the pre-rut. Um, getting into that more end of October, first week of November, which again, I would call more the rut time frame where it's all out chasing. A lot of does are going into estrus. There's, um, you know, bucks just you know, looking for that next doe. And, and there, in that time, my experience is those bigger bucks, yes, they're working those same scrape lines, but it is at a frantic pace. They are covering ground. You know, their, their objective is to put on as many miles as they can and find the does and get on them. Um, and this is, this is a lot of fun to see this time frame too, because this is when you see the just, you know, does come running through and, it, you know, there's that buck just thrashing through the timber behind them. And, you know, all this activity, if you're lucky enough to see two bucks and, uh, you know, all that uh, interaction that happens and all that aggressive behavior, um, you're going to uh, be more successful in that time frame by knowing those uh, high traffic areas. And this would include those two. These aren't necessarily anymore these more secluded kind of around the you know, backside of a plot or something that, you know, routes, these are the more direct highways that your deers are, deer are on. And just spending time there, this is where time in the tree pays off. Mm. Uh, in that, you know, I, and we've talked about this in prior podcasts. I know, I think I'd say I'd reference three spots on, on my property that if I just put enough time there, I am going to have an opportunity or at least a encounter. A lot of times because of what I just mentioned, you know, the deer hammering through there, literally running at times. You might get to see them, but you won't get to shoot them. Yeah. And, that, and that's, that's part of the rut time frame. Um, one of the ways that uh, you can help that is to have that be, and 
really all of our sets are on scrapes. So, you know, sometimes they're still checking that scrape. Even if they're chasing a doe, they're going to run in there and check that scrape. Um, or a water hole. We haven't talked about that today yet, too, is, you know, I've witnessed this many times where one of those stands I was just talking about happens to have a water hole there. And you, if these bucks are physically uh, just beating themselves down and they love to come in there and, and catch a drink on their way through and they know darn well where those water holes are. And that's, a, that's another uh, way to go, especially if you have a tick up in temperature. Um, I don't think that the rut, it, while it may be slightly reduced, there's still a lot of activity in that, uh, obviously, that first week of November. And, but being, you know, being on that water hole on a day where the temperature ticks up is not a bad way to go at all. Yeah, yeah. And I think that, uh, that that's worth mentioning, too. And, again, time in the stand uh, in that, that time frame, whereas, you know, that, that last week of October is more strategic, picking a spot, and hoping to intercept that movement. Yeah. That, so one of the things that I've done a little bit different this year, my hunting will really be concentrated from October 31st through November 14th. And that's specifically because of my setting. Like I've been running trail cameras on this piece of public for a couple of years now. I know when those areas kind of turn on, let's say. Mm -hmm. uh, I also know that I don't typically have a lot of intel of a buck that's real predictable. You know what I mean? You mm -hmm. were mentioning that predictable buck movement in that, you know, last week of October, maybe early in the last week of October. I don't usually have a lot of that. It's when, it's when things really bust loose that I start to get a lot of deer on these cameras. And you're exactly right. Last year, um, I got a picture of a really, really nice eight pointer, uh, really wide, heavy horned mm -hmm. eight point. He was following a doe. The first picture or the first video I got is a doe running through and heading down this trail. The second one was the, the buck running out into the opening, running over to the scrape that was there, sniffing it real quick, and then turning and running ex exactly the direction that the, that the doe had run. For some reason, he was just like, I'm here. I, I might as well check it out, you know, on the, mm -hmm. on the scrape. I might as, well, might as well stop here. And I hear a lot of folks say, hey, once the rut's going, don't worry about scrapes. But what, what I've found personally is if you've got a, an area with a lot of good scrape activity in it, the bucks are going to be there. They may not be in there working those scrapes like they would have been, you know, October 23rd or 24th, but they'll be in the general area. You know what I mean? It's not like an area well, goes from check. being heavily. Yeah, exactly. It's not like an area goes mm -hmm. from being heavily scraped up to now all of a sudden all the bucks have disappeared and they don't like this area anymore. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It's not like it, it, that heavy of a, of a, um, of a shift. So you killed your buck last year on October 25th. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. October 26th, one of my favorite stands. Um, I need an east wind to hunt it. But I, I come in from a creek, and I slip right up the bank, and there is a tree to climb right there. And there's a huge scrape that just gets ton of act, tons of activity. Uh, one of yeah. the weirdest-looking scrapes I've ever seen, but just like all around the bottom of this tree is, is scraped out. And... Uh, Probably a mid one forties class buck daylighted October twenty sixth there last year, so it's kind of killing me. I'm not going to be there, uh, you know, in, during that time mm -hmm. frame. But but an east wind is can be kind of tough to come by that time of year. Um, yeah, that's that's a tricky one. Yeah, for sure, it is. It is, uh, and just the way the bedding sets up on the other side, there's there's nothing I can do about it. But uh, well, man, let let's talk a little bit about uh, what guys should be paying attention to 
this year as they have an eye toward their next hunting season. So this is, mm. this is the time of year when they're making as good of observations from the tree stand as they possibly can. And they're going to be faced mm-hmm. with the fact, am I happy with my hunting quality here on this property or am I not happy with my hunting quality here on this property? Am I disappointed with the results that I'm seeing, right? Mm-hmm. What are some things they should pay attention to that will help them make good decisions going forward or help them say, hey, this is the year that I need to give Sam a call from Whitetail Partners and, and, and figure out, hey, Sam, can you help me make this property hunt better because I'm not happy with what I'm seeing? Sure. No, that's a great subject. Uh, it starts simple. I, I'd say even um, just think about each time you're in a set. You know, every time you are sitting in a tree in a situation, um, analyzing what, what you would like to change. Sometimes it's moving that stand to a different tree. Maybe it's a shooting lane. Maybe it's, um, you know, the way the, the angle that you have that mock scrape at, you just want to change it a little bit. So these are tweaks that I would say from each stand for me, I just keep a list in my phone and uh, every time I'm in a tree, I just make a few notes of the things that I would adjust there because you won't remember them when you, when it comes to uh, uh, next uh, spring, summer, fall, you know, that you're, you're getting after these things. So it's nice to have that kind of checklist of things to get after in each stand. Um, and, and I think that's the, the maintenance part of each uh, set that you have. Then I, I zoom out from there a little bit. I'll say, okay, well, how, well, how are the patterns around your stand? You know, are, are deer getting, you know, are they moving behind you? Are they, um, you know, is, is the movement, you know, by your stand not focused in a certain location, like we talk about travel corridors and some of these other attractions we put in front of a stand to, uh, you know, narrow that pinch down and, and make uh, hunting a lot more uh, predictable and enjoyable. Um, you know, so how are, how's the movement through there? Um, you know, other things too is, and, and this just gets to every observation, like, oh, I busted some does out in that spot when I came in into this location, maybe I don't have the right hunter access. Um, maybe I'm not thinking about this correctly and we need to make an adjustment of where I come from, or we need to eliminate that bedding area. You know, there's been times where I've decided I'm going to go in there and make sure that a deer is never in that spot again. I'm not going to allow it, you know, and you just go in there and just make it absolutely impenetrable. Um, and, you know, so each, each of those experiences, so every single time something happens, and this is to and from the stand, you know, I talk about access uh, in the stand, like I talked about just a minute ago, it, you know, every single time you have a positive or a negative, it's asking that question, why did that happen? And is there something I can do about it? Um, and, I, and I think that that's kind of that, yeah, that's, that's learning, right? We're all out there to learn. Uh, we're all out there to get better at what we're doing. And if we just do what we've always done, like, you know, as the saying goes, you'll get what you've always got. And, and I think that that's, that's really what this is all about is um, seeing and observing your experiences. You know, why am I here in the peak of the rut and I didn't see any buck activity today? What, why was that? And maybe it's not your setup. Maybe it's situational. Maybe it was the wind. Maybe it was those temperatures. Maybe it's the, uh, you know, all these different things we've spent talking about throughout the podcast, analyzing the hunt. It's not just about the property. It's a lot of it is about our hunting. You know, there's plenty of guys and 
this just pertains to public land, you know, really well is they can dissect a situation, go in there and kill a big deer. And, and that's the, you know, that's learning on the hunting side. But anyway, all this to say, having someone else give their perspective on things is what, you know, Whitetail Partners, what I do is, is all about and helping, you know, helping give a brand new perspective and a lot of different strategies that maybe weren't thought of um, in their experience because uh, we're all predisposed to habits and things we've done. And that's okay. You know, I learn from people too. When they show me some things they're doing, I'll, I'll say, wow, that's a really good idea, you know, and, and, and you know, we are, we're all out there to learn, uh, but sometimes getting another perspective uh, from guys like ourselves really helps. Yeah, absolutely. And, and one thing you mentioned there uh, when you were talking about, you know, your experiences, you said positive and negative. And that's one of the things that I learned, you know, uh, after spending a day working with you doing, doing a set was, you know, a lot of what you do is to say, okay, what's the positive here? What's the positive of this, of this property or this set or this spot, whatever. Mm -hmm. And what can we do to emphasize that? Like, it's not mm -hmm. just let's eliminate the bad things. It's, it's let's take the good things that we have and put an exclamation mark on it. You know, make it even better, dial it in even better, get a little bit more focused because, man, the difference of five yards is the difference of a, of a dead deer or not. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and knowing those details of that setup is, is everything. You know, I walk into a set and I know, okay, that mock scrapes at 22 yards, not just because I have a rangefinder, but I just know that spot and, you know, and those sort of things as you get more and more developed on it, um, you're just set to go. And uh, yeah, it does. Details uh, make all the difference. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Sam, if folks want to get a hold of you, where can they find you? Uh, social media or website is Whitetail Partners, uh, whitetailpartners.com. Um, phone, email is all there. Um, reach out to me, message me, however they want. You'll find me and uh, be glad to help you all. we got some exciting announcements coming up uh, later at the end of the month. And uh, looking forward to serving some new people that way. So uh, check it out and give us a call. There's something we can do to help. Excellent. Well, Sam, thanks for your time today. Good luck this fall. Yeah, thanks. You too, Josh. Take care.